I'm Lainey Law. Hi, I'm attorney Andrew Myers. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about whether pictures, videos, and other evidence is always admissible in court. What are you doing? I'm trying to get good pictures of this intersection for that injury case we have coming up in court. Shouldn't we just get a photographer to take care of that? Well, I did hire a photographer and he did a good job, but he didn't really zero in on the points I need to make in court. But I thought they changed the intersection since the accident happened and they even redid the curbs and everything. Yeah, you know what, you are right, but I think I might be able to work around that issue. Well, if you say so. Pictures and videos are almost a part of any legal course. Juries and judges don't want to sit around and hear people talk. Pictures, videos, and other electronic data help the court visualize the case. Oh, that's absolutely true. Um, I mean, if you're a judge or a jury, you don't want to sit around and just listen to people talk, especially lawyers. But before we talk more about that, at the end of this podcast, we're going to talk about a town in New Hampshire that hates attorneys so much they tried to keep them out. What town and what did they do to keep them out? Okay, so today we're going to talk about um, video, pictures, electronic evidence, and it would seem pretty simple, right, to um, make sure that you get photographs to the jury and to the judge. But I just want to tell you that it is not quite as simple as you might think. I brought all of these books to show you there are different rules in every court. Here is my Massachusetts book of evidence. Here is my New Hampshire book of evidence. This book says New Hampshire, but it has the federal rules. And you know what? The rules are different no matter where you go. So it's not quite as simple as you might think. So talking about different states and the different laws that apply to each one, why is it so different from each state to state? And what makes it so that electronic evidence would be possible to view in court? Well, for me to dig down into the details of every single state and every single court rule, would uh, we'd be here all day. But we're going to talk about the generalities and the general things that you have to prove to get a photograph admitted into court. The first thing, obviously, is whether the photograph is relevant. I mean, you can't uh, show a picture of a car if you're talking about a boat. So what is relevance? The legal definition of relevance is anything that tends to make uh, a fact that's at issue in the case more likely or less likely. Sounds simple, right? So what's the big deal about something being relevant, and how can you prove that something's relevant? Well, relevance involves two steps. I already told you about the first step. The second step involves weighing several factors. Uh, In our full screen we're showing you right now, this is generally what the rules all say. The court may exclude relevant evidence if its probative value is substantially outweighed by a danger of one or more of the following. Unfair prejudice, confusing the issues, misleading the jury, undue delay, wasting time, or needlessly presenting cumulative evidence. What does that mean? Well, if something is relevant, that might be fine for the court. But if it has a prejudicial effect, then it could bias the jury. Let me give you an example. There was a uh, case in Massachusetts in which a criminal case in which a young woman had been assaulted and killed and stuffed in the trunk of a car. And the defendant was convicted of murdering the young woman. 
And one of his issues on the appeal was that this was very prejudicial to the jury to actually see uh, the body of the woman stuffed in the trunk of the car. And it went all the way up to the appeals court in Massachusetts. And the appeals court said, well, you know what? Uh, Every time we have a criminal case, we can't keep out the evidence just because it is gruesome. So in that case, the court said, Uh, We're going to allow that, even though the defendant said it was very prejudicial or even inflammatory, and they allowed that evidence to go in. There was a New Hampshire case, however, that is a personal injury case. It was a civil case. There was a slip and fall, and the plaintiff had come down some stairs. He stepped on the snow, and underneath the snow was ice. And after the snow had melted... His attorney went and took pictures. Well, some of the pictures were kept out, not because the snow had all melted, but the reason that they kept the photos out, and this went all the way up to the New Hampshire Supreme Court, was these were close-ups that showed that the downspout coming down from the roof was a little bit too close to the steps, the theory being that the snow and ice would melt overnight and it would pool up at the bottom of the stairs and then freeze. But the real reason that the court actually kept some, not all of those photographs out was because the paint was actually chipped on the downspout and the court said, "Uh, that's going a little bit far and maybe the jury could infer from that that the guy wasn't uh, keeping up the property. So in that case, the court said, that's really very prejudicial. So... That's interesting to me. So it sounds like something really small is able to make a big impact on whether or not they allow a photo into court. Is this something that attorneys work towards keeping out? Like if they see something, like are they able to argue that it's prejudicial? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the very beginning here, we talked about how a photograph has to be relevant. And you know what? That sounds really simple. But there are people that will try and keep your photographs out of the case. And as a personal injury attorney, I will always take photographs of a car, of someone who's been injured, or that kind of thing. But the insurance defense attorneys will always almost always object to your photographs. In fact, they have a website that explains all of that. And here I'm going to show you what they say on their very own screen. Uh, The insurance defense attorney website actually says to prevent the introduction of photographs at trial, one needs to evaluate if the photographs are an accurate representation for what the party seeks to show or argue through the image. Was the photo taken at a meaningful time? Does it provoke an emotional response, i.e. sympathy for the victim? Is it cumulative evidence? So, yes, to answer your question, no matter what we try to do as personal injury attorneys, the insurance defense people, nine times out of ten, are going to argue to keep that evidence out of court. So it sounds like there's a lot of rules as to what can and can be admitted into court. I guess my curiosity now lies in what would be the steps into getting something admitted into court? Okay, we've already talked about uh, the first rule, and the first rule is Uh, relevancy. How could I forget that? The first rule is that it has to be relevant and we have to balance whether the um, probative value of the uh, evidence is not outweighed by substantial prejudice. The second rule is authentication. What authentication means is that is this photo a fair and accurate representation of what it needs to show. In other words, in the example of the downspout, uh, is the photograph fairly and accurately showing what the um, downspout uh, looked like at the time of the accident? We already talked about probative value outweighed by prejudicial effect. The final step, uh, which I 
touched on a little bit is authentication. And that's pretty simple in terms of a simple photograph. Is it a fair and accurate representation? But if we're talking about more video evidence or if we're talking about electronic evidence, you know, the question comes, where did it come from? And I can give you an example. I had a client uh, come to me and she'd had a car accident. She drove from Derry over to Nashua and she got in an intersection accident. And the other driver was a little bit aggressive, a little bit over-aggressive, and came out of the car and accused my client of talking on the cell phone. They, they claimed that my client, at the time that she went into the uh, intersection, was talking on her cell phone. And my client swore. She said, no, I was not talking on my cell phone. Uh, and the National Police actually put it in their police report that she was talking on her cell phone because they were told that. So my client came here. And we sat down and we went on the computer and we brought up, we went through her T-Mobile uh, cell phone company and we actually brought up her bill. We were able to find an itemization of all of her calls and we, we put it up on the screen here. And I'm going to show it to you right now. What the um, evidence showed was that she had left... Derry at a certain time, she got a very brief phone call from her boyfriend. That phone call only lasted two minutes, and that was the last time she spoke on the telephone until she got over to Nashua, she got into the accident, and she called 911, and there it all is, right on that evidence. And so we had it on paper, actually we had it electronically on the screen, but to authenticate that, you actually need another witness. Uh, fortunately, we were able to, in the end, settle that case. We proved she wasn't on the cell phone. It was, in fact, the other person's fault. And the other uh, person unjustly accused my client of talking on her cell phone. So in order to authenticate that, we had to contact the cell phone company and get an official proof that it was a regularly conducted business record. So you'll see that if you watch the Alexander Murdoch trial. They had a guy come down from Detroit all the way down to where they tried the case in South Carolina, and he was only on the stand for two minutes because he came in. He said, yeah, I work for the automotive company. Uh, we keep OnStar records. Uh, this is a copy of it. Here's the disc. And that was the end of his testimony. It only took two minutes, but that was required to authenticate that video. That's amazing. So I guess my curiosity now is because you mentioned it was done electronically. Are you able to submit electronic evidence? Do you need to get things printed out? How would you present that to the court? Well, that depends on what court you're in. Every court is different. The local courts, sometimes you actually need paper. Uh, the federal courts are all electronic. I was recently at a trial uh, where we were trying a case, and the attorney came in simply with his uh, laptop. And he just he didn't have a briefcase. He didn't have a single piece of paper. He didn't have any uh, photographs. He just walked in. He had a Mac. He had a uh, MacBook, and he just walked into the court. He walked up to the podium. He put his MacBook down, plugged it in, and everything was right there. And the, the federal court had screens that showed everything to the judge, the jury, the audience, and all the other attorneys. You've got to remember there are other attorneys. So, federal courts by and large are set up for totally, completely electronic. The state courts are coming along. Uh, if you're in small claims court, it's probably okay to bring paper, but they're all different and it changes. Uh, just last week, there were seminars uh, in one of the county bar associations and also the federal court held a, uh, a meeting online on Zoom, of course, 
to tell us attorneys what to do when we get to court. So this is an evolving issue, and I can't give you an answer that that's the be-all and end-all of it. That's fair. So now I guess my next question is, in those cases where you can't submit electronic evidence to court, how many copies of your evidence should you be bringing into the court? Well, if it's just a simple photograph, you should probably bring at least three. If it's electronic, I guess the message I really want to get out to people is that you should know your court. You should have an attorney who knows your court. If you're an attorney in Rockingham County or Essex County or Boston or Manchester, you know your court. You know your local court. If you don't, you've got to get to know it. You've got to talk to other attorneys or you've got to call the court clerk and say, what do I bring? But you should bring it. If you're, if you're in a court that still deals with paper photographs, you should probably bring at least four. One you're going to give to the court, one you're going to give to the court reporter, one you're going to give to the attorney on the other side. And don't forget, you've got to keep one for yourself because if you don't have a photograph for yourself, what are you going to do? So I would say at least four. Okay. That's awesome. So now I'm just curious, do you have any examples of what some of this evidence might look like? Oh, we have tons of examples, but I just happened to bring a trial notebook. And this is an actual trial notebook from a case that I had. And, you know, it has all of my motions. It has all of the uh, listing of all the other evidence. And in the back, we actually have... Um, photographs that were used, uh, photographs of cars uh, and other photographs. So over here we're looking at a picture of a popped airbag. What is the process of getting a photo like this admitted into court? Okay, the first step in this particular photograph is going to be, is it relevant? I mean, uh, look at that. That could be any car. The insurance company is going to object to this photograph because that could be any car in the world. I mean, it's got uh, the interior of a vehicle, and it could be any vehicle that's gray. That's why one of the earlier photographs did, in fact, show the license plate, because that is going to positively identify that that is a fair and accurate representation of the accident. So that uh, gets us past relevancy, that gets us past on authentication. Uh, the foundation has already been laid because before you pick that photograph, obviously we explained that this is a car accident case. And the final step is going to be um, whether or not uh, we have authenticated the photograph. So I will uh, walk over to the stand where my client is sitting, and after she tells me that it, in the accident the airbags popped, you know, I'm going to actually physically show her the photograph and put it in her hand and tell her, is this a fair and accurate representation of the interior of your vehicle after the time of the accident? She better say yes. If she says no, I'm in trouble. But <laughs> So those are the four steps. And once you, it sounded more complicated as we went through it, but those are basically the simple steps of how we get photographs into evidence. So to summarize briefly, if, say, you get into a car accident, if you want to prove that that car accident, the photos that you have are permissible in court. You want to make sure that you have pictures of the car, that you have pictures of the license plate, and you have the pictures of the damage to that car. Is that correct? Absolutely. And um, again, one of the little secrets is, and I've had clients bring me photographs uh, and they don't have the license plate. The license plate identifies that vehicle because, for example, how many Honda CRVs are on the road? How many RAVs are? I I have a Toyota RAV. I see a million of them every day just driving to work and I don't live very far. So you've got to have an identifier to show that that is, in fact, the, the, the picture. 
I mean, you know, it sounds simple right now, but I'm sure with a lot of different cases, it could get complicated in different ways. But as long as you're able to prove that it's relevant, then it's important to take these pictures and to know what you're submitting to court, it sounds like. No, you're right. It does sound simple. But you know what? It can get complicated. For example, just very recently, there was a case that went all the way up to the Massachusetts Court of Appeals with regard to photographs. And... um, I mean, here's my Massachusetts Lawyers Weekly. It's the edition from the week that we're taping this. What happened was that uh, while the personal injury attorney presented photographs very similar to the ones that we just took a look at, the insurance defense attorneys brought in a photograph that showed, you know what, the, the damage to the car really wasn't that bad, and so the person really couldn't be injured, and they made that argument that the, because the damage was so low, the person couldn't have sustained that bad of injuries. And the case went all the way up to the Massachusetts Court of Appeals, and the Massachusetts Court of Appeals said, hey, what's fair is fair, and those photographs were allowed to be brought into evidence. So, I mean, to get a case to go to the Court of Appeals in Massachusetts takes a number of different steps, and you're writing a brief, and you're citing cases, and you're spending a ton of time. So, yes, the issue can get really complicated. So, thank you for explaining all those details with me. Now, I guess I'm curious, do you have any personal experience in a situation like this? I have a crazy experience that happened to me not far from my office in Massachusetts. I was going down the street and a person ran a stop sign and hit me. And they got out and started yelling at me and blaming me for the accident, even though I was going down the main street, actually, is the name of the street. So I didn't say a word. I've always been an amateur photographer, so I didn't say a word. I reached into my car. I got my camera, not a cell phone, but an actual camera, and I took pictures of the other driver, the car, the license plate, the stop sign, and that was it. And about 20 minutes later, when I got to the office where I was going, I made a phone call. And in that time, she had gone from being very angry at me to calling her insurance company and admitting that she caused the accident. That is insane. And it just goes to show how people may still try to fight even when they know that they're in the wrong. So speaking of trying to fight, we do have a story of a dairy attorney who actually had to fight for his right to stay in the town. So let's go take a look at that. We get it. Attorneys are not the most popular members of society, but trying to keep them out of town? Derry, New Hampshire, is the fourth largest municipality in the state in terms of population, ranking only behind Manchester, Nashua, and Concord. Attorney Prentice moved from Massachusetts to Derry back in 1775, but many in the town opposed having the first attorney in town, openly expressing disapproval. They claimed the presence of a lawyer would sully the reputation of the community. Attorney Prentice proposed that whether or not he'd be allowed to set up shop in Derry to be resolved once and for all in a trial by combat, but townies agreed and came up with what is described as a mighty bruiser to defend Derry. Apparently, Prentice was in fact bruised, but did much better than expected, so the first lawyer in Derry was allowed to stay. And guess what? Derry had its first attorney in town. So while that case may sound a little extreme, that's really what happened. So now, Andrew, can you tell us a little bit about what future topics we'll be discussing on this podcast? Well, in case you were wondering why we picked this one for this week, I've been writing blog articles for over 10 years now. And the blog article I wrote some time ago about photographs and electronic evidence, that's one of the top 
articles that I've gotten comments on. So that was one of the top ones. Uh, we're going to keep going with the other topics that uh, were number one in terms of the number of hits and the number of responses. So why don't we just keep a little bit of suspense. Awesome! I'm looking forward to it. And Andrew, where can the good people watching today's episode find you if they want to learn more about your practice? Please go to my website, which is attorney-myers.com. If you have an idea for a future podcast or a blog article, let us know at attorney-myers.com. And I just want to say thank you so much for getting to the end of this video. If you are new here, be sure to subscribe. We are a new channel, so every like, comment, subscription really helps a lot. If you love this video, be sure to share it with your friends. Thank you so much for watching. Have a great day. Thank you.